I'm Ryan. And I'm Anin. And you're listening to What Do We Even Know Anyways, the podcast where we answer questions that you've never even thought about asking. Okay, so Ryan, you probably heard in the news recently uh, about a new rover that's landed on Mars um, by the name of Perseverance. Yes, I have. Um, and so uh, I guess for this episode, we wanted to talk about Mars uh, in light of this, you know, kind of a historic event. Um, so Perseverance is the fifth rover that NASA has landed on Mars, and its goal is to investigate astrobiology on Mars and see if life sort of ever existed on Mars. And so I wanted to talk about like some of the interesting aspects of this rover, and so I guess we can start with some of the new technology that's on it. And something pretty interesting is it's the first time a rover on Mars has had a microphone. And oh. so they actually have, um, you know, recordings of what Mars sounds like. So I want to show you something. And um, so this is from an, an article on weather.com. So the title of it is, or like what it says about it is, NASA has released a clip of the Perseverance rover riding across Mars, and it's just like being there. Okay, so okay. I just wanted to, wanted to see if you thought it's just like being there. did that take I mean, you back i mean if i'm being honest those are like the worst sounds <laughs> like i could possibly hear it's like a high frequency noise that's just like uh like a droning high frequency noise mixed with like the scratching of metal but it is like I, that's not really what i expected it to sound like i guess i thought it would be like more smooth maybe yeah that's interesting okay well at least that's not all that we've gotten out of this yeah. mission so um so some other things that we're doing um they are taking, they're drilling samples and uh, of the rock, and they're hoping that will sort of bring light onto if there was possibilities of life on Mars. And actually, they're not going to take those samples back. They're going to like sort of place them on the surface of Earth, uh, surface of Mars, yeah. and wait for new missions to come and hopefully recover those samples. Okay. The rover, one thing that's special about it is that it can self-drive for up to 200 meters every day. And then when it self-drives, it'll build a map of the road like that it's driving on so like it can sort of uh, create a map of mars i guess it's going like pretty slow because like 200 meters is like not <laughs> yeah. that much yeah yeah but yeah. like i mean still pretty impressive yeah it's, it's pretty impressive and then also something interesting um is the landing site they picked for this mission uh which is called the jezero crater and the reason they picked this landing spot is because it could be a place where there used to be ancient life on mars and the reasons for that is it is one of the places on Mars where there was definitely a lake. And so oh, okay. a lot of craters on Mars, um, scientists think, oh, yeah, there were lakes there. But this one is for sure because there's also a preserved delta. So you can see where, like, the water flowed out mm. of the crater. And also it has diverse mineralogy there. So there's sort of lots of things in combination that would make this site a really good place to look for life on Mars. Yeah, so that's interesting. Like, speaking of the water on Mars... Um... Back in 1877, there was this Italian astronomer named Giovanni, uh, sorry, Giovanni Schiaparelli, and he published this map of the planet um, where he depicted one of Mars's features, uh, which was this dense network of uh, channels which kind of spread across the entire planet. Um, but when this map was translated to English, the word channels uh, was mistranslated to canals, and this caused people to believe that these giant 
networks of canals must have been this huge engineering project uh, carried out by inhabitants of Mars or Martians. And if you recall Percival Lowell, who was uh, kind of one of the main people involved in the founding of Pluto from our other episode, uh, he was one of the biggest pro proponents of this idea of life on Mars uh, due to these canals. And really this idea was uh, supported by the scientific community until after his death in 1916. Uh, but even after that, it lived on in the public's eye, uh, this idea that there must be uh, these intelligent, some sort of intelligent life creating these projects. Um, and that's why Mars is the home and the setting for all of these books and movies um, and science fiction. Yeah, and it's interesting that sort of the earlier books seem to always focus on Martian armies invading Earth, but later works uh, kind of shift to humans traveling to Mars and, and living on Mars. So, like, do you remember a couple years ago there was a movie that came out called The Martian? Yeah, I do. I uh, liked the book and the movie, like, one of my favorite sci-fi books. Okay, yeah, so basically in that movie there's the character named Mark Watney, and he gets stranded on Mars and basically the movie is about him surviving on Mars for a period of over a year and sort of how he survives and also how they rescue him from Mars. Um, and so I, I, li I like that movie a lot too and because it seems that like what Mark Watney does is so smart and it also really seems plausible and I wanted to figure out if that's actually the case like is it actually plausible mm -hmm. what he does. So you might remember that uh, our physics teacher, Mr. Allen, has brought up the movie a couple times in class and sort of talked about the science behind what he does. Yeah. So I sat down with him and asked him, like, how realistic uh, is what Mark Watney does? Yeah, so I'll try not to spoil the movie for anyone, but most of what Mark Watney does is very plausible. The author actually posted a lot of the manuscript online and got uh, input from many experts in many fields. Uh, so, so most of what he does is incredibly clever and realistic. Uh, the way he gets water, farms, deals with energy, for instance, are all plausible. So like, I guess to start, we might give like a few spoilers, but like um, nothing too serious. And I don't think it'll like ruin what the movie. The movie's pretty old, so <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's kind of on you. Yeah, so what he's saying is, like, he posted it on, uh, or the author posted it online, and so, like, Mark Watney is this combination of some of the smartest people, or, like, some very smart scientists, so that's why he seems really clever, uh, because he is just, like, a botanist, and he is, like, a physicist, and, and everything combined. And then, sort of, the methods he's talking about are, one, the way he gets water in the movie is that um, I think he uh, uses hydrogen that they had from the mission on Mars, and he just sort of lights it on fire, so then, you know hydrogen and oxygen will react. Uh, and then the way he farms is that... That's that's one of the most memorable parts, if really? I remember correctly, is that when he uses his poop to like... Oh, the farming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he uses his poop to farm, which is like, I did not think that would actually be legit, but I guess there is sort of the ingredients in human yeah. waste that you need. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Uh, like, I, I think that's something that like a lot of author, authors should do, like maybe if they're trying to do a realistic science fiction uh, novel or book is just like get input from experts so that way uh, like it, it's actually real and it's actually although it's fiction like it could happen 
Yeah, yeah. So that was really interesting. But then he also mentioned that there is one sort of part of the movie that sort of doesn't fit as much or doesn't make as much sense scientifically. Uh, the greatest problem is that his uh, atmospheric solution in the end of the movie requires the beginning, the problem at the beginning of the movie to never have been possible. <laughs> so he could never get stranded there if that's how he saves himself. So is it a problem with how they get stranded or how they rescue him or? Well, the, the atmosphere on Mars is about a hundredth as dense as ours. So if, if the winds are as strong as they are in the beginning, the, the atmosphere can't be as uh, thin as it is in the end. Yeah, so uh, that, that's interesting because like doing research from Mars, you know, I like found out about all the sandstorms and stuff that happen on the planet, but I didn't think about the fact that like if you were literally in a metal ship or something, the winds could never be as strong uh, or strong enough to like literally knock you back as as it did in the movie. So I don't know. I think it's possible that Andy Weir, the author, like knew that this was a problem and just used sort of like, well, yeah, like you got to make, they have to make some concessions like to have some yeah. sort of story. But it may, it may have been better to have some other problem at the beginning, like a mechanical failure or something like that, because then, uh, like then it would all, like the entire movie would be plausible, but uh, it's still, it's not like a, huge issue it's obviously yeah. still a work of fiction yeah it's still pretty accurate which is like the main part i took away from like talking with mr allen and so that got me thinking about like is if if that's so possible that this person gets stranded on mars and he can use all the materials that he has to sort of survive for a while like are is it possible for us to sort of go to mars and um and survive on mars so i actually asked mr allen about that too Given how plausible Mark Watney's solutions are to the harsh conditions of Mars, uh, do you think it's possible for humans in the future to actually inhabit and, and live on Mars? Uh, so I think it's certainly possible. Uh, the biggest difference from the movie uh, is that it's, since it's probably a one-way trip, we, we'd have to have people live underground since they'd have a lot of radiation exposure and several meters of Martian rock and soil could protect people from the radiation about as well as the Earth's atmosphere. And I think you will, and maybe I will, see people living on Mars well within our lifetimes. Uh, however, it'll probably be more similar to how people live in the space station or how people live in Antarctica rather than a true colony, if you will. Uh, don't expect to see a real town there for quite a while. Uh, well, we could do things like bring 3D printers to Mars so that we can do a little bit of manufacturing using the equipment that's there. Uh, we'd probably still have to ship a number of pieces there with a certain amount of regularity from Earth where we have significant scale industrial engineering going on. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like uh, the real issue with what he's saying is shipping something to Mars uh, currently is super expensive and very difficult because you know we've only had uh like a small number of spaceships or rovers even make it to mars and there's just so much um difficulties with getting one there especially when you think about if we're trying to get these heavy industrial materials there uh that kind of uh, contradicts the goal of these spaceships which is to make them as light as possible 
Yeah, like with something with Elon Musk's Starship, which is sort of a vehicle that he's designing for uh, space travel to Mars, it takes that, uh, he estimates that it would take a six-month journey just to go one way to Mars. So obviously if we need to get lots of, you know, industrial equipment there and you have to make that trip multiple times, um, that's obviously going to take a very long time before we can even start to set anything up and start to build. Yeah. Speaking of uh, making a colony on Mars or just moving to Mars in the future, one thing uh, that kind of goes along with that is what's called terraforming Mars, uh, which basically means engineering the environment to make it more like Earth's environment. And that's something that we might want to do if a lot of people are moving to Mars in the future. And a lot of scientists think that this would take two main phases. And the first phase involves uh, warming up Mars because as we uh, I think talked about earlier, it's it's pretty cold. And first we need to get it uh, to 15 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And that takes about 100 years, uh, which is sort of a long time. Uh, but the next phase uh, is producing enough oxygen in the in the atmosphere so that humans and animals can breathe um, more easily. And this, unfortunately, would take about 100,000 years with the current technology that we have. Um, but there are a few things that could possibly be done to speed it up. So basically what we're doing is a similar process to what we unintentionally do on Earth, which a lot of people will refer to as global warming, um, and that's uh, introducing CO2 into the environment. Um, and with just normal photosynthesis, like the sun uh, beaming down onto the ground with no plants, the efficiency of that is only about 0.01%, uh, which is pretty poor. But if instead we maybe filled the planet with plants, uh, that efficiency could be increased to 5%. So there are definitely things to that we could do to speed up this process, but it still is pretty difficult. And I think technology is going to have to improve before terraforming Mars is a real possibility. And yet, even though it's going to take so long to, or what we're saying, there's so many things we need to account for, there are still some people who haven't given up on the idea of creating a city on Mars. Uh, so there's uh, one architecture studio, uh, Abibo, which uh, has drawn up plans to start build, uh, that uh, for a city on Mars that they could potentially start building as early as 2054 and finish by 2100, which to me seems extremely optimistic <laughs> given what we've just talked about. Yeah. Uh, I guess they wouldn't be doing any terraforming or anything. But the, the plans are to build the city on the side of a cliff so that, that way the atmospheric pressure and the radiation wouldn't affect them as much. Oh, so sort of what Mr. Allen was talking about with the having to live underground, uh, this would kind of address that problem. And so the city would have a million residents. Its capital would, would be named Nuwa. Um, they would get oxygen from plants and energy from solar panels. And I don't think it would be the best life, though. I mean, it says there's not, you can't really eat meat. Um, <laughs> the only meat you can get is cellular meat. Um, and obviously, that's not going to be a large feather diet. Uh, and there would be very small spaces for you, but uh, there would be larger communal spaces because uh, a lot of people think that if we're going to live on Mars, it's going to be have to be very community oriented um, in order to sort of survive because um, it's going to be very harsh conditions.
What Do We Even Know Anyways is created by Ryan Hochstein and me, Anand Srinivasan. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.